Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this podcast. I'm back, baby. Let me tell you what I've been up to, plus we'll talk some fantasy football and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 16 of The Bridge. Well, greetings and salutations, everyone. Did you miss me? I'm sure you did. I'm sure every week without The Bridge was just a week of sorrow and sadness not knowing how you were going to get your sports news and my commentary on what's going on in sports. I know. I get it. I understand. I'm sorry. Jeez, haven't been on here since July. It's like I went on the disabled list, worked my way up through the minor league system and some rehab appearances, and I am back and ready to go better than before. Now, you're probably wondering, well, where the hell did I go? I didn't go anywhere, but there's really not a ton of stuff to talk about in the summer months, as we know as sports fans. And there were a couple things preventing me from really getting excited about doing another podcast. For one, my laptop was on the fritz. I was waiting to get a new one, and I've done just that. I'm coming to you now on GarageBand on my new Apple MacBook Pro 15-inch screen retina display, all the bells and whistles that you can ask for for a successful podcast and recreational device. It's a beautiful thing, friends. If you're considering a laptop, I highly recommend going Mac. Though the price tag is still hurting my wallet, I think it was worth it and is worth it in the long run to have this, to do this show and to do other things as well in the future. So I couldn't be happier about that. So now we've got the new laptop. There's no excuses there for me not being able to produce a high-quality show that you've come to expect on the bridge. Though I am still learning this program of GarageBand, and I'm going to be tinkering with it for a very long time in order to get where I want to be with it. So just bear with me until we get to that point. On top of that, I also started writing for Bleacher Report. For those of you that are unfamiliar with Bleacher Report, it's a very popular website that features a myriad of writers covering a wide variety of sports topics and different sports. So before I get into what I wanted to talk about in this specific show, which is fantasy football and how one should go about drafting one's team... Let me just tell you a little bit about what I've been doing on the Bleacher Report. So they've got this advanced program in sports media, and basically what that does is allow aspiring journalists the opportunity to write for the site and also have people critique your work while being paid as a featured columnist for the website. It's a 12-week thing online, and I've basically been doing three stories per week, sometimes four, on some different levels of what they do on their website, whether that be an argumentative piece, whether that be breaking news, whether it be covering a live event, whether it be doing a slideshow. All the different things that they offer on the website are featured in this course. And every week, your coach critiques what you've done. You have to send in a midterm and go over what things you've done well and what things you might need to improve on each week. You send that into a coach. She comes back with what you can improve on, what you did well, if you met the criteria for that week. Then you wait on, I guess, what would be a supervisor to let you know what you are going to be covering for the next week. So you put these articles out and the editors will come on and fix anything that might need fixing, offer you some pointers, make sure everything's along with their style book and what they like to do, and you're good to go. After that, you sit back, you wait for people to comment on your story, you engage with them in the comments section, 
And you would be quite surprised at the number of people that actually comment on these stories and offer their opinions or their disgruntled opinions on what you may be doing. I've never been one to really go to comment sections and comment on people's work usually. Sometimes if I'm on Twitter and someone writes something that I thoroughly enjoy, I'll tweet out to them, they did a great job, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more on Twitter. But I don't usually go to the comments page to interact with the writers. It's something that I just don't really feel like doing, whether it's laziness or that I just don't want to get into a discussion. I don't really do it often, but there's a ton of people that do. Some people have nice things to say. Some people curse you out as being a terrible human being and a terrible writer, so I don't necessarily comment back to those folks. I appreciate the constructive criticism, however though not always constructive, but that comes with the territory. But it's been fun. I've had the opportunity to write on a number of topics, ranging from basketball to baseball to NFL, and the latter of which is probably the most popular thing that I write about. This all really got started right in the beginning of July. It's a pretty intense process to get accepted to this program. You have to send in an application and attach your resume to that to see if you get past step one. Once you get past step one, you have to write a story on any topic of your choosing, but basically it's to see if you can write or not. Then if they like what you've done, you have to set up a phone interview with who is now my supervisor, talk about some of the different things that they offer and whether or not you'd be good for the program. So they ask you what writing experience you have, what you like to write about, if this is right for you. So that was a half hour, an hour of that. Then I had to write another story on a topic of my choosing. And the first story that I wrote for Bleacher Report was regarding the home run derby and why the new rules will make it worth watching. So what's exciting about this is, as I've mentioned to you all, I am a sports writer for a weekly newspaper as a profession. So I am writing about sports each week, and I do get some decent feedback from people around the community who may have read a story that I've written about something they like, and they've liked it. So you get a pat on the back, if you will, from maybe a coach or a player or a fan about a story you've wrote. Don't really get pats on the butt from my editor, but that's another story for another day. So it's nice to be able to develop relationships with local high school sports teams and players, and it ends up sometimes snowballing into the professional ranks. If a former high school player happens to be in a professional setting, it's been great to be able to cover that. I've done a Super Bowl champion. I've done people playing in single-A baseball. There's a decent assortment of things I've been able to write about that you don't necessarily get to do all the time, and I've just been lucky that that's been the case. But this is certainly a much wider audience of readership on Bleacher Report. It's very, very popular for sports fans, and they offer a ton of content from all different writers and all different types of opinions. So that first article about the Home Run Derby got 23,629 reads and 28 comments. Now, I thought that was absolutely awesome. I don't know the number of people that subscribe to my weekly paper, but it's probably that number. So you're assuming that everyone that gets the paper reads my story every week, and that would be that number of reads. Sometimes my stories get in the local daily paper, and that obviously has a larger number of readership, somewhere in the forty to 50,000 range. So that's always nice to have happen, but that doesn't happen all the time. This was something that just blew me away for my first story. I was completely shocked and humbled and taken aback that so many people would read this and it got to so many eyes. Little did I know that was only the tip of the iceberg. So then I, I continued on with some different topics, key takeaways from the All-Star Game, then why the Astros are a great fit for Johnny Cueto, and then my first real big hit was 10 teams that totally nailed the NBA free agency, which was happening right around when I did the most recent podcast back in July. So I put together a little slideshow, picked 10 teams, and went over what they did for NBA free agency, some of the signings they were able to get. We remember what happened in Los Angeles with the Clippers and DeAndre Jordan and different things along those lines. Well, before you know it, that story had blown up. I had 150,000 reads after a while, 333 comments, craziness, could not believe that that many people would read a story like that. 
In the past, I've written for some blogs, one of which was one of those, like, you get paid per click type things. So in order to get a decent chunk of change, you have to get a million plus reads in a month's time or so. And that's just not going to happen with that type of format and with the audience that they offered. Now this, that's definitely plausible, but you're getting paid based on your work in a week and not by clicks, which I think is a lot better because you're not going to just be Skip Bayless ridiculous on topics just so people will give you the clicks. So after that, I had set the bar incredibly high for myself without even realizing it for how popular a story could be. And I know there's a lot more writers on Bleacher Report that get that on an average just because they have a huge following after they've been able to do many articles and they have their own niche and they cover their own sport or their own team and they've established themselves. So to them, that's probably just chump change. But for a guy like me, I was pleasantly surprised to say the least. So then a couple more things, wrote about the All-Star game, wrote about Demarius Thomas. I was able to do a lot of stories on the Yankees and the Broncos, which was good because I'm a fan of both those teams. One of the things they had me do was basically live posts throughout some baseball games. You could pick whatever game you want, but it was during baseball season. So that's what I went with. And that was a lot of fun, but not a lot of many people read that because they're just going to watch the game and follow it on Twitter, if anything. So I average a decent number of reads. It's usually five, six, seven, eight thousand, ten thousand, whatever. If something's decent, if something's good, a lot of that happens to do with the topic I end up receiving from my supervisor. And it probably has a lot to do with when I end up posting the article. Because if you write something at 2 a.m., how many eyes are going to see that? Whereas if you do something at, say, 8, a lot more people are around to read it. It doesn't necessarily always work with managing your time and stuff, which is one of the reasons why I hadn't really been keeping up with the podcast as well. Because you end up working a five-day work week, you put in eight hours or however many hours you have to work, then you have to come home and put two or three hours aside to make sure you're writing your Bleacher Report story. And it just makes for long days. And the last thing you want to do is sit behind a microphone and talk about sports when you've just written about it all day. But the biggest article I had actually just came last week. And of course, it was involving the National Football League something that people are already starting to get excited about. So this particular topic was of the NFL preseason, teams that are already in trouble, and this was written after the first week of preseason games. So it was pretty much just taking a look at some of the teams that might have struggled early or some of the teams that might end up struggling early in the regular season. My number one team, for example, was the New York Jets because they had just lost Geno Smith for half of the season after he got punched in the face and broke his jaw, courtesy of one of his teammates and what's been deemed a sucker punch. Another one of the teams was the Carolina Panthers. They were two because they lost their wide receiver, Calvin Benjamin, to a torn ACL, and they don't really have too many great receivers. He was their number one guy, so that's definitely going to hurt them as well. What people don't realize, though, is this is a list that's going to continue to change and fluctuate as the season goes on and as each week goes on. It was not set in stone, but some people commented, how could you possibly make these comments or predictions in the preseason? I agree with you, but I'm not the one picking the stories. What do you want me to do? Just not do it because, oh, well, it's useless to make predictions now. It's just the preseason. I kind of agree with that, yes, but I still had to do the story. Like, you cannot predict injuries that are going to happen to teams, whether they happen now in the preseason or whether they happen in week two. Those are just things that happen, and that's going to change how you view different teams as the year goes on. For example, the Green Bay Packers just lost Jordy Nelson for the entire season. They might make that list now if I were to do that story today. But to make a long story short, I had no idea how popular this story would be. And it got some decent feedback after the first day and a little bit more the second day. And before you know it, it was getting into the hundreds of thousands of reads. And when I say hundreds of thousands, more than 900,000 people have read this story. 900,000. That's absolutely bananas. I just don't have any words for that. I just don't have any words for how many people viewed that story. Now, plenty of people disagreed with the list. Some people agreed with it. There were some great discussions that happened in the comments section about it. 
I always try to at least follow the comments of my stories and interact the best I can with the readers. And I think they find that interesting as well. Whether or not they realize I'm actually the writer of the story or not is to be seen, but I think they enjoy at least getting a comment back and then they'll usually say something else to disagree or agree with what I said. But to make a long story short, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun to do this, and I hope that it leads to something more when this program ends in late September. I would love to be able to get full employment from Bleacher Report or do something along those lines. Maybe this experience will help with something else. We'll just have to see what happens, but it's been great. That's just been one of the reasons why I haven't been sitting behind the microphone doing this podcast as often as I would and basically took a summer vacation from the bridge. But I'm back, baby. The return is here. I would say the champ is here, but John Cena just recently lost his belt, so we'll save that for another time. Now, enough about that and what's been keeping me away from this. We're here now, and what I would like to talk about for this week in particular is a little bit of fantasy football, an incredibly popular thing with Americans. Because not only do you have leagues with people you know, coworkers, friends, family, whoever it may be, now you've got those daily fantasy leagues with FanDuel and DraftKings where you're able to get a new team each week, each day, whenever you want to do it, put money down on that. So because of the popularity of this and most of my listeners seemingly having fantasy football teams, I thought it would behoove myself to dive a little bit deeper into who some of the players may be to draft this year and who some of the players may be to avoid. I've already done one draft for a team this year. It was actually done at Ale Mary's in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Shout out, slight shout out to Ale Mary's. It's a pretty cool thing they do. You could rent out one of the rooms there, and you have three hours in the room. They give you a fantasy board to use, the little stickers that you could put on the board as well. You could drink beer and eat food for two hours for 15 bucks, which isn't a bad price for that. And you just go from there. So that was a great experience. I've already had a draft under my belt. I have another one coming up on Sunday and then another one after that on Wednesday. So I'll have three teams at least so far this year and many other people as well have enough teams to where they're going to be very busy on Sunday and definitely buying that red zone package for whatever cable provider they may have. Now, I know a little bit about fantasy football. I've done some research, obviously, because I've already had a draft, but the person I'm going to bring in as a guest is actually the commissioner of one of my fantasy football leagues that I've been a part of now for a decent number of years. And he's one of those guys that is very well researched on fantasy football. He gets the magazines, he gets the books, he gets those website printouts. He is very well versed on who to take and what strategies to use and when to draft those random unheard of sleepers in the later rounds that may turn out to be great players or duds. There's only one way to find out and that's to draft them. And he's the guy that does it. So sit back, relax, get out your fantasy football magazine, get a pen, get a notepad, and let's go over some fantasy football for the 2015 NFL season. So I am here with Eric Blomain, the commissioner for one of my fantasy football leagues. This one entitled Way Too Furking Early. Hope I'm saying that correctly, Eric. Uh, but we've been in this league. I've been in this league for I don't know how long. It's it's been probably at least five years, six years. And yeah, the league is the league has existed since 2003. Uh, I think you've been in it for at least half of that time, if not more. It's it's really been been going on for a while. And yeah, thanks for the uh, the intro there. I, I am Eric the Blomaniac, Eric Blomain. Um, that was a moniker given to me many years ago up in Ithaca, New York, on the radio up there one day. I think it just kind of happened organically but the bull maniac is kind of stuck. But yeah, really happy to be here and me talking. I'm actually, I said, I'm letting my hair down a little bit, even though we're drafting against each other on Sunday, I'm going to try to uh, 
be honest with my picks and understanding that you might benefit from it and vice versa. But let's do this. I'm sure you would probably benefit a little bit less than I might from your knowledge. <laughs> but uh, we could also keep this under wraps. Maybe I won't release this to say Sunday so the other members of our league don't get any ideas about where we might be headed. But as I mentioned to you earlier, after this many years, there's not too many secrets that we could have. Kind of know right. where we're going to go. Since fantasy football drafts are happening all over, I've been in a draft already. Eric has been in one as well. So things are really starting to heat up now as far as fantasy is concerned. Some injuries already that we're going to have to deal with, but I figured it'd be time to dive into this for my loyal listeners and perhaps give them some help on a future draft or two. So I guess, I, I think so. I guess we should start with some of the people that you think will probably go early in the draft. Now, everyone has their own draft strategy. So I guess to start, I'd like to just dig a little bit deeper and let people know how you like to perceivably go about drafting. And of course, it all depends on where you end up in a draft order. But what would you say is your basic premise or philosophy when you're going to be doing a draft? Sure. So first, I'd like to just give everyone that has already drafted and drafted before the Jordy Nelson injury some condolences, because that's the kind of thing that no strategy can prepare you for. So hopefully you got your draft at the end of the third preseason games like we're going to try to do. But yeah, going into a draft, I said I started playing in like 0203 thereabouts uh, at high school. Uh, so I kind of came up when running backs were the king of the castle, and I've kind of always stuck by that. So I'm still kind of from the old school. I'm not one. Of, I'm not someone that's going to really draft an Antonio Brown in the first round unless picking 11 and he's hanging out and all the running backs are gone. I really want to end up with a running back in the first round. We're kind of lucky this year in that there are six or seven guys that I think are worthy of top selections and not top overall per se, but top selections at positions. I think just off the top of my head, rattling it off, Peterson, Bell, Lacey, Charles, Lynch, Forte, and DeMarco Murray, I think are all worthy of those kinds of selections. And I'd really just like to stack my team there because for once it's the receiver class that's super deep. So yeah, I'm not going to get an Antonio Brown, but you know, I'll snag a Randall Cobb in the second and then you know, at least 20 other good receivers that play that I can try to snipe later in the draft. Whereas you're looking at Latavius Murray pretty quickly, who I don't dislike as a player, but he's not going to be someone that's going to anchor your team. Running back tends to drop off pretty quick this year as I see it. Yeah, I was just going to say, have you noticed that this year in particular, maybe last year a little bit too, running backs seem to be very hard to come by, especially when you're drafting later in the draft. It would make sense that early in the draft, you might end up with the top six running backs off the board. And if you're drafting a 10, you have to decide, well, is it worth going very low just to make sure I do get a running back? Or how should I go about that? It seems this year, there's not really much going on in the running back position. By that, the drop-off is pretty big. Right. If you're picking at the end of, I agree, if you're picking at the end of round one, you're, you're in some trouble because you kind of do need to reach a little bit possibly because if you don't get a running back with either of those two picks, then you're really going to be screwed when it comes back around on the flip side at the end of the third round. So, uh, But that on the flip side, though, there aren't necessarily guys that justify that value. The good thing is this year there is a chance that some of these guys free fall. Like I look at some ADP values and I see DeMarco Murray going 13 on average, Matt Forte going 12 on average. The guy that I have some personal history with in Philadelphia, but LaShawn McCoy going at 19. There are some guys that, that are worth picks in the late first, early second that might fall depending on, again, if your league mates subscribe to the running back strategy or not. One guy I, I really like value-wise, but he's going to creep into the first round, I think, if he's not there already by the time draft season ends, is Jeremy Hill. I think he has a, a lot of explosive potential on the Bengals, but he's not a household name yet, so some casual drafters will probably pass him by if he's on top of their queue. But yeah, you, you're definitely some people that are in some tough spots where they're going to have to look, am I going to grab a Gronkowski and use that huge advantage at tight end to make up for my deficiencies at running back, or am I going to draft two receivers, go Des Bryant, Julio Jones at the end of this round if you can get so lucky as that those guys fall because the running backs all went. It's really, to some extent, it pays to be flexible, but that's not to, being flexible doesn't mean that you're not concerned with team construction and I agree because there's such a clip at running back you can really kind of get in trouble if you ignore the position early right I think Jeremy Hill is definitely a good value this year especially in a PPR league like ours he's going to catch a lot of balls there is some discussion whether or not he's going to get the majority of the carries or split some with Giovanni Bernard but it seemed like last year he kind of came into his own and is probably going to have a bigger role this year 
And if you can get him a little bit later, maybe, and not have to reach as far, he would definitely be a good value, I think, for a potential running back one if things go that way in Cincinnati. I think that offense is underrated also, kind of with some of the weapons they have there. I do, too. Well, we remember last year what happened when I picked up one of their wide receivers who had, what, 51 (laughs) points that one week on my bench? Uh, Yeah, that was nice. That was nice. I, yeah, I, the, 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 the red rifle that Andy Dalton just puts together those games like once in a blue moon where he just like throws a million touchdowns and you just want to be riding that wave. Kind of like Eli Manning has done in, in recent years, I guess you would say. Some weeks it'll be a five interception, no touchdown week. The next week he'll throw four touchdowns, no picks, 400 yards, and you'll just be wondering why he's on your bench in favor of Geno Smith. But, That's uh, actually a really nice segue to the quarterback position. I think maybe we should use that as some leverage to talk about that because we didn't really touch on that. That's right. We can we can hit on the quarterbacks. I found it interesting that in the draft that I did last week, I believe it was, the top five picks went incredibly opposite of what I thought they would be because the first pick of the draft was Andrew Locke. The second, Ooh, the second, that was very interesting, but then it gets, it gets even better because the second pick was Des Bryant. Three was Aaron Rodgers, Four was Russell Wilson. And then I came in at five, not expecting that I would have my fill of any running back that I possibly could want because none of them had been taken yet. I did not expect that to happen. And I don't necessarily like that idea of taking Andrew Luck as your number one pick. I'm sure you probably agree with that. Yeah, I love Andrew Luck. I like him in college even. I just I think that there's a lot of talent at QB. I'm always the kind of guy that waits on a QB. and then. Uh, but to be honest, in recent years, that strategy hasn't really worked out too well. You'll get a Tannehill that does all right. But then for every that, there's every magazine at Cutler number five among quarterbacks last year. And that obviously bottomed out. Maybe someone gets a Romo like last year who puts together a surprisingly unexpected season. But that being said, even though I like top shelf quarterback numbers, I don't like paying for them. Like when you're passing up, like I'm looking at who's around Andrew Luck and ADP, when you're passing up a Calvin Johnson or a Randall Cobb over maybe a couple hundred yards at the QB position and a couple of touchdowns, like if it's 4,040 versus 3,836 or something from a guy you get later, I, I can't really justify that. Again, the, the other skill positions have such a sharp drop off. Right. And what's interesting about the quarterback play of last year. Obviously, Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers, top of their class. I guess they could be worth a first-round pick if you really want to. I'm under the same impression as you are where I don't want to give that pick away to somebody like that when you could get somebody who's a wide receiver or a running back or somebody of a little bit more value because I think this year there's going to be much more unexpected quarterbacks having good seasons. I'd I'd like to at least think that because if you look at last year, even though they didn't have the best numbers as far as what they've done in the past, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, they almost threw for 5,000 yards last year. 4,952 and 4,952 for the two of them, which is funny enough. Thank you, Yahoo, for those great numbers. But even a guy like Matt Ryan throwing for 4,695 yards, which was more than Tony Romo, more than Eli Manning, more than Tom Brady, but it's not necessarily somebody that you would want on your team. But as far as a first-round pick for these players, it's probably going to happen. It usually happens with every draft you do. There's always some guy that thinks, I'm going to get the best quarterback in the first round. I think this year, though, you would make out with waiting a little bit. You can get a guy like Ben Roethlisberger. Peyton Manning, I think, is going to see a significant drop this year because they're probably going to be a run-first team, but he's still going to put up good numbers. Eli, I think, is going to have a great year this year, and Tannehill. So I don't think you're going to lose much if you wait on a quarterback this year. Yeah, I I totally agree. I I think there's some interesting names down below, like what you just said, but I will comment on some of the top guys. I look at, we mentioned, you know, who's around luck, that you're passing up on a Cobb or Gronkowski or Calvin Johnson. I look at who's around Drew Brees, for example. Jeremy Macklin and Julian Edelman are the two names that he's sandwiched between on the ADP chart I'm looking at right now. If that's your opportunity cost for drafting a Drew Brees versus your opportunity cost for drafting an Andrew Luck, I know Brees had a down year and lost some weapons, but I have to love that value. I do like Roethlisberger if he's at the right price. Right now he's going as the fifth quarterback off the board, which is probably about fair because he was probably the best quarterback or second best last year maybe. But that could be a scenario where you're paying for a career year because we had a huge sample size of Roethlisberger being above average but not spectacular, and then suddenly he's spectacular. So I would be wary about paying that price tag. He's fifth at his position coming off a year where he was like two at his position. I think that's actually a fair price. I was worried 
that he was going to get drafted like Andrew Luck in the first or second round, and then I would never touch Big Ben at that price. But if you're getting him in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, uh, a Roethlisberger, a Breeze, a Peyton Manning, these are all guys that can realistically go in rounds four to eight. I think you can get a nice value there. I think what might be a problem as well is there's probably going to be some people that are going to draft these guys earlier than you would expect them to because they're watching guys on ESPN or listening to the radio and everyone's throwing out these names about Drew Brees is going to have a great year, Big Ben's going to have a great year, Phillip Rivers even. So people might want to take these guys a little bit early. And there might be that tradition that usually happens where in, say, the third round or even the late second round, a quarterback goes, and then a quarterback goes the next pick. And before you know it, the, the rush, quarterbacks, the yes. The QB rush. The QB rush happens, and, and everyone's off the board. And it might not be time to panic at that point because, as we mentioned, you're probably going to get a decent quarterback even if you're in a 12-team league, the top 12 quarterbacks are still of decent value if you take them at the right spots. I wouldn't necessarily jump out for guys like Cam Newton or Colin Kaepernick or even you mentioned Jay Cutler. Those are people that I would wait on. I'm, I'm a little bit weary as to what they're going to do, especially with Cam losing his best receiver already before the season has even started. But you could even get some guys that you might want to have as your backup that could potentially turn into good fantasy football quarterbacks. We don't know what Jameis Winston's going to do. We don't know what Marcus Mariota is going to do. We don't even know what Sam Bradford is going to do in his new system. So yeah, the, these are these are guys that in shallow leagues, in a lot of cases, are going undrafted. A lot of these guys you're talking about. So right, many of those names I mentioned. Had. They didn't go yeah. drafted in my ten-team league. A lot of those guys in in what you would call the tier four, the late tier three, they're still available. So I'm sure they're going to get picked up as the season goes on. But if you want a good backup, there's going to be backups available for that. Yeah, if you look at the quarterback 10, 11, 12 on a couple of ADP charts, it's guys like so again. These would be the last three starters in a 12-team league. Stafford, Tannehill, and Eli, you'd be fine with any of those guys as your starter to start the year if you had to couple them with a backup. Again, this is all assuming that you've loaded up on skill positions because these guys are obviously aren't going to win you your league. They're just not going to lose it for you. So you're really going to need to get carried by your other positions. But it's not like you're starting the number 30 quarterback if you, if you wait. There's really some upside there. And again, you, like you said, you draft a guy late, a true lottery ticket like some people did. This exact strategy with RG3 when he was a rookie, because he was kind of the last pick of a lot of drafts. You never know what these rookies are going to give you. You get a Stafford, you get a Tannehill, and then you get a Sam Bradford, or you get one of these rookies, and you just shoot for the stars with the second one because you have your safe guy out of the way. So I think we're under the same agreement that we will not be picking a quarterback in the first round. Yes. Unless and, maybe... I do, and, I, and I like the general point you made, which was, when a rush starts, I think it's always a good idea to, to zag what everyone is zigging. I think if everyone's taking tight ends, get the wide receiver that's going five picks later than he should go. If everyone's going QBs, then adjust accordingly. I really don't like getting involved in the group think unless it's really going to mess up my team composition. Yeah, because what's going to happen this year is somebody's going to take Gronk, and then right after that, the next person's probably going to take Jimmy Graham, and then you're done with tight ends. That's it. You could wait. You don't need to jump on the bandwagon with tight ends. There's maybe five that are of great value those two obviously being at the top of the list, but you don't need to just immediately say, oh, everybody's drafting tight end. I got to get one because some owners, for whatever reason, when they get three wide receivers and two running backs, they immediately start thinking, okay, I'll get one more of each and then I got to get a tight end. Then I'll get my defense. Then I'll get my kicker and I'll be good. And then we'll see who else is left. Well, you don't have to think that way because I'm pretty sure you're under this impression as well as I am. I'm not drafting my kicker. I'm not drafting my defense and I'm probably not drafting my tight end until the last three picks. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are some scenarios in the first round where maybe I, I take a Gronkowski if I'm there. But right, I think all this is assuming you miss out. There are some middle-round guys. Greg Olson, for example, when you lose Kelvin Benjamin, those targets might go somewhere. He's getting drafted in the fifth round, maybe a little higher than that now with the injury. I, I think you could, depending on what you've done in the first three rounds, be okay there. But, you know, then for every guy like that, there are landmines all over that tier of tight ends. Like Owen Daniels in Denver is getting a lot of play. But while Julius Thomas had a huge couple seasons, he never really commanded that many of the targets in terms of like the percent. Like he really only got fifteen percent of his team's targets. So right. he was, it was kind just of a rare touchdowns. talent, but it's a lot of touchdowns. Right. Right. It's not like you're getting a guy that dominates the touches and the looks from his team. So 
you're really going to be inconsistent there, I think, because there's such a talent drop-off between the two guys. And then there's guys like Witten that's really, you might get your 700 yards and five touchdowns, probably not going to give you more than that. So, right, there are some spots where I could see drafting in the, in the mid-rounds, but I agree. Otherwise, as a general rule, it's get one of the top or get one of the bottom and nowhere in between. With the exception, again, you might see me draft a Greg Olson if you're in a league with me. Like, something weird happens and I'm stuck drafting a running back that I don't really believe in or sniping a tight end there, I, I might do it. But that's probably the exception and not the rule for me. So getting to the running backs, as we mentioned earlier, there's about eight solid, maybe nine or ten, if, if you really want to push the envelope, running back ones that you could rely on every week for decent output. They're going to get your touchdowns. They're going to get your yards. But for those first five or six guys, who is your favorite on that top of the list? You've got a guy like Adrian Peterson, who we all know what his troubles were, and he's going to be coming back, and no one's sure what he's going to be able to do. You would think he could get back on the horse fairly quickly, but you never know. Jamal Charles playing in an offense that doesn't necessarily do great passing to wide receivers for touchdowns last year. Marshawn Lynch won't get you that handoff in the Super Bowl, but other than that, he's usually a reliable guy. Eddie Lacy might have a bigger role now with Jordy Nelson out, and Le'Veon Bell's not going to be playing for those first couple of games. And then you've got Matt Forte working in that new offense in Chicago and getting involved with that now without Brandon Marshall, and he's going to probably have a different role. And DeMarco Murray, we don't know what's going to happen with him. Who are some of those guys at the top that you really think are going to perform well this year? I have to say, I, I owned him in both my leagues last year. I drafted him in one and traded from another. I love Eddie Lacy a lot. I don't know if I was picking number one, if I could convince myself to take him there, but I, I like him in almost any other spot in the draft. And I think the most surprising part of his game for me is that he became one of the premier pass-catching running backs in the league last year. So that even if true. you're in a PPR league, he was taking those dump-offs like a bowling ball and just ramming over some defensive backs late in that season. They really got that game going, get that momentum going forward and just bowl people over. So by design, they manage his workload, but there aren't too many running backs where that's not true. So I don't think him seeding touches is a major concern. And, and you mentioned that they might actually have a couple more touchdowns to go around because Jordy was the fade king. And yeah, they might throw a couple, but they don't have the personnel that's good enough to convert. So I imagine Lacey might get a small uptick in touchdowns there. So yeah, I really like Lacey. Le'Veon Bell would probably be the clear number one this year if not for the suspension i think it's hard to draft a guy knowing you're only going to get like 80 percent of the season but that being said i think the fact that he has been bumped from the top spot in a lot of drafts might be a value proposition if he falls to five or four in some drafts that's possible like for instance if you draft on yahoo marshawn lynch is actually the number one player by their rankings that is true so in, in those kinds of leagues some owners they go in and they really use those pre-rankings pretty heavily so you might see lynch taken in the top three and then a guy like lacy or bell slips to you at five or six but yeah i could make a strong case to draft either of those guys anywhere in the draft, even number one, if, if, if I had to. I, I do like Peterson, and I like, like Charles. I pretty much like most of the guys you named to some extent. I'm staying away from C.J. Anderson in the first round because there's reports of Hillman looking great, and he's always been kind of a Brian Westbrook type in terms of Hillman has been, like kind of a speed, scat-back kind of guy that could get some lightning in a bottle and just hurt C.J. Anderson enough that he's not a first-round pick, kind of similar to what we saw Sproles do to McCoy last year. Right. So I'm kind of shying away from C.J. Anderson, but yeah, I'd be thrilled if I came out of my dress with Lacey or Bell. And there's a lot of other guys like Peterson, Charles, Lynch, that I don't really see the question marks. I think getting Murray at his current pick of like the second round, first pick of the second round, I think that's robbery. I think there are a lot of red flags, but I think there are a lot of green flags, too, that kind of offset them, too. So, But I'm a Lacey guy. I think I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up on my team. So moving farther down the list and looking ahead to some guys that you should behoove yourself to pick up in the seventh, eighth, ninth round after you've gotten enough wide receivers and you're ready with other positions to go ahead and get these running backs that could either be in a running back type by committee or they're going to be guys that might not necessarily be on the most offensive proficient teams. You mentioned C.J. Anderson before, great pick as is with many running backs, would be if you could draft the entire running back quad or trio, just the position in general, because Denver's going to run the ball, but they've got four or five guys that can. So who's going to be the guy that steps up? Last year it was him, but it was because of injury that he ended up getting to that position. And there's a whole slew of people that are going to be like that. But then you had guys that stepped up last year into roles that maybe you wouldn't have expected them to, like uh, Justin Forsett, even Trey Mason, before they kind of panicked and took him out of that role. He had a, a couple of solid weeks stepping into that starting running position in St. Louis. And then you've got rookies coming in, like Todd Gurley, 
Amir yeah. Abdullah is going to be on Detroit, and there's going to be different faces now this year. Latavius Murray in his sophomore season, what's he going to do with Oakland? Who are some guys that you would see as nice value picks in those 8th, ninth, 10th rounds, guys that might fly over people's heads but should put forth some pretty solid seasons? Kind of on the flip side of your thing where you wish you could draft a whole running back position, I think there are a lot of backfields in general that I would just say I would like to invest in. So a lot of these guys have three guys and you don't know who's going to step up, but I'd like to own at least one part of it on the off chance that I could have that guy. Right. So, for example, you look at a backfield like the New York Giants. They're going to be a prolific offensive team. Do you draft a Rashad Jennings? Do you draft a Shane Vereen there now? Or I think they have a young guy in tow also. And also, their third string is hanging around still. And actually, reports came out last week that he still might get some touches. I also like the two guys in the Lions you mentioned, Jaquay Bell and Abdullah, the spark freak rookie. I've heard a lot about the spark score in recent years. But one backfield that I just can't quit, I was heavily invested in it last year, and it kind of had mixed results. I like Cleveland's backfield. Not because I love their offense, obviously, but they still have a road-grading, soul-crushing offensive line. They lost Alex Mack to a pretty bad injury last year, but he's 100% healthy now, they're saying. The rest of that line didn't go anywhere. There's a rookie there, too. And obviously, the two guys that were there, uh, Duke Johnson being the rookie, there are two guys that were there last year that were rookies that had kind of everyone, that were everyone's darlings, Isaiah Crowell and Terrence West. If I had done one of the holdovers from last year, I think it'd be Terrence West, who's kind of not even on some ADP charts. He's so far down, but he had kind of a nice second preseason game. But yeah, the rookie, Johnson's also someone. So I'd like to own a stake in that backfield. So really, I used to be of the mind that I'd like to draft three guys from the same team and kind of assure myself run one running back. That used to kind of be my mindset. But lately, I kind of would rather have the upside of having three running backs. Like So instead of owning three running backs from one backfield, I'd rather own one-third of three backfields. And then if everything goes well, you end up with two or three starting running backs versus you, know, you draft all three Cleveland backs and what, you get maybe one RB2 out of all those roster right. spots. It's just not practical. So that's been, for me, kind of an evolving strategy over my years in the game. Now that brings us to wide receivers. And I was just about to say that we haven't talked about my favorite position at we all. We must yet. go to your favorite position. And some lists that I've been seeing have Odell Beckham Jr. as the number one wide receiver in the National Football League. Now, for one, he's on the cover of Madden. Though the curse has been broken a little bit in the past couple of years, we don't know whenever there's going to be a resurgence of that. But for two... Will there be a sophomore slump? Can you risk taking Odell Beckham in the first round and put your faith into a guy like that on an offense that's getting Victor Cruz back is going to have a little bit more pressure. Defenses are going to be going after this guy now. He's going to have to respond to that. Is he worth the risk there? Or who are some of the guys that you would pick ahead of him or well ahead of him? You ever hear the expression, your eyes don't lie? I think your eyes don't lie when you look at him. He's a special guy. He's, he's got great hair. We've ever really, we, I don't think we've ever really seen a rookie season like what he had. So first overall receiver might be a little much, but there's a lot of ambiguity this year in the draft, the way the rankings shake out. I mentioned there's no consensus one at running back or overall. There's really no consensus one at wide receiver. I think anyone from the tier of Antonio Brown all the way down six players to Calvin Johnson, any one of those guys could be the number one overall receiver in the game. And that encompasses Odell Beckham. Obviously, Demarius Thomas, Julio Jones, and Des Bryant are all also up there. Any one of those guys can take over a game, carry your team. It makes sense when you look at receivers and you're kind of trying to break the tie. Look at the quarterbacks. Interestingly, though, none of these guys really have Aaron Rodgers throwing them the ball. They don't have Andrew Luck throwing them the ball. But you've got Manning. You've got both Mannings, actually. You've got Matt Ryan. You've got Romo. You've got... Roethlisberger. So in that case, they're all kind of the same. Can't really go wrong there. But we've never really seen a rookie do what Beckham did, so we can't really predict what he's going to do as a sophomore. But I do agree that Cruz coming back could be a burden because it could take away some looks, but it also, as the defense is key more on him, if Cruz is healthy, that'll help him there too. So I like him at the middle of round two, beginning of round two, if you can get him. I think first round at this point still premature for him. Now there's a lot of players that are ranked high or have decent rankings in both Yahoo and ESPN. And some people are going to go for them maybe a little bit higher than they should just based on their name alone. If you see a guy like Calvin Johnson, you got to take him because he's Calvin Johnson. But you might run into trouble doing that, especially in fantasy football, where sometimes you can't necessarily go by the name and don't give them that Kobe Bryant-esque contract at the end of his season, <laughs> at the end of his career, and it not really pan out for you. Who are some receivers that you've seen that you might avoid rather than overpay for and some people that you don't think are worth where they're going to end up going this season? 
it's tough for me because some of these guys are some of my all-time favorite players, and I really don't know what Andre Johnson's going to give you at this phase of his career. I think he's going to have a great year. I think he's going to have a thousand yards and five or six touchdowns, if not more. But I don't think he should be drafted as like a wide receiver one anymore. And I think that's what he's going to cost you, just because all the wide receiver ones are gone. And people will be like, "Oh, Andre Johnson's still available." Historically, receivers. Moving to new teams sometimes do struggle statistically. I'm a little wary there, and I think that's a clear example of a name value that's going to hurt you. He came on fast and then kind of fell off fast. Keenan Allen, people still think he's maybe a wide receiver one, even though he definitely had a sophomore slump. By that same token, people might draft him ahead. Interestingly, some guys that really are name commodities are actually going a little lower than I expected. Brandon Marshall, you know, he's on the Jets. He's still a physical mismatch, so I like him down in the fifth round as your wide receiver two or three. I like some of the guys on there at Deshaun Jackson. Someone's going to be throwing the ball in Washington. There's upside to be had in those kinds of positions. In terms of who I like, I really like Alshon Jeffrey. He's going at the end of the wide receiver ones, but I think he really could be in the middle of the tier. I think anyone after, again, after those six guys I named, I think really the rest of the wide receiver ones are pretty interchangeable, and you can get Jeffrey almost around later. Then you can get some of those other guys. So I'm sure that number is going to creep up as we get closer to the season. Yeah, I think a lot of people end up avoiding some guys that you might be able to take a risk on because they think, well, he's playing for X team, and why would we pick somebody on X team? Well, they do have to throw the football. Jarvis Landry is on the Dolphins, and there's question marks as what their offense is going to do, but Tannehill's going to have to throw the football to somebody. Brandon Cook's on the Saints. Drew Brees is going to have to throw the football to somebody. There's going to end up being a wide receiver one on teams like the Vikings, the Browns, the Texans. You're going to need to have somebody that's going to catch the football. So don't necessarily avoid those people because you don't think that they're going to do anything because they're on X team. Well, they're still going to do something. It's just a matter of, is he going to be your main guy? Hopefully not. But you could still take the leap of faith on, on guys that you mentioned because Alshon Jeffrey is, is going to be the man now in Chicago. Brandon Marshall's not next to him, so they're going to have to throw the ball to somebody. If you look at, like you mentioned, who receivers have as their quarterbacks, it might not hurt with the majority of decent quarterbacks to draft their second or third receiver. And a great pick this year, which is even better now, is a guy like Devontae Adams on Green Bay, who I think was going to get a much larger role, even if Jordy was healthy. Now he's going to probably step into that wide receiver two hole and get a lot more carries or catches, I should say. The same thing for the Steelers with guys like Martavis Bryant and Wheaton. And if you look at who Peyton Manning is going to be throwing to, or even Drew Brees, those guys like to spread the wealth and you might be able to have decent weeks from these players, especially in a PPR league. Yeah, I think that's, that's all, all right. I think, a lot of these guys present a lot of buying opportunities. I think some interesting things that kind of touch on what you said, there's been two developments, I think, that have made these kinds of wide receiver cores interesting. Devontae Adams, he's a steal in the fourth round right now, I think, if you can get him, which is what he's currently going at. That number is definitely going to go up. I think the market is still adjusting to the injury of Jordy Nelson. But also, you got to look at who the third receivers are on these teams, too. For the end of your draft, we don't even know in Green Bay's case who that's going to be. Aaron Rodgers said he doesn't even know. Draft a guy like a Jeff Janis, who's a sophomore, MX blocking their other receiver. But there's a couple of threats that are competing there for that third spot. And you get lucky with that lottery ticket, and suddenly you've got the other outside receiver for the three wide receiver sets, and that could be a big steal. And the other interesting development that just came down the pipe today is actually the suspension of Martavis Bryant for four games, which that's opens right. up. But it opens up two interesting buying opportunities because, number one, four games isn't the whole season. So buying Bryant, if you have a stacked team elsewhere, could actually really work out in your favor. But on the other hand, buying Wheaton, also he will come as a value. And at least for four games, he's going to be Ben Roethlisberger's wide receiver, too, which could be your fantasy wide receiver, two or three. So I think all of these backfields, uh, all of these receiving cores that are in flux really kind of lend you to being able to take a lot of chances. And same similarly to what we talked about in the running backs, have a lot of chances to hit big by drafting a lot of these guys. They really are, like you say, lottery tickets. So if you draft a bunch of them and one wins. Because there still is going to be a lot of unknowns with teams that have already suffered injuries and with teams that are still trying to figure out what their offense is going to be. A lot of people are probably going to draft Devin Funchess or whatever his name is with the Panthers now that Kelvin Benjamin is out, assuming that he steps into the number one role, but he might not. He might not be. He's not the same player Benjamin is. So nobody really knows what his role is going to be. And then you've got people like Michael Crabtree trying to get his career back on track with the Raiders, who people have been saying that he's been playing out of his mind at camp. 
again, how much do you put into that? But still, he could be a guy that maybe now that Derek Carr is getting a little bit into what he's doing now in Oakland, maybe he's a guy you could look at. And if Matt McGloin's thrown to him, hey, even better to have him on your team. But there are people that aren't even on the list to be taken. They're going to be on the bench. They're going to be on the waiver wire. Guys like Cecil Shorts coming into a new role in Houston. If you keep even going down farther, Brian Hartline is going to be on the Browns. That's fun. Cordero Patterson, are they going to finally throw him the ball in Minnesota? I mean, there's going to be a lot of people that you might have had on your team previously that have kind of fallen off for this year that you might consider taking back, especially if they don't go drafted. You could just pick them up after the draft or keep an eye on them as the season goes on. I've noticed a couple names of guys like that where you go, boy, they were a hot commodity a couple years back, and now nobody wants to look at them this year. Yeah, there's some of the words that post-hype sleepers, I guess, guys that have the talent and were inconsistent or whatever, they they had their opportunities. A couple guys that I like if you're scraping the bargain barrel, similarly to what we did in the running back position, guys you draft right at the end. I really like, I've liked this guy for years, Kendall Wright in Tennessee. He's just a chain mover. He's not going to be a deep threat, but he'll catch 60 passes standing on his head like he did last year. He really just goes unnoticed by people, but really he's the perfect bi-week filler. You might be able to find someone that's really in a bind with injuries and kind of package him in a trade to ship off, which I think I've also made that play in the past. I think there's a lot to like about Kendall Wright with Mariota throwing him the ball. He's actually looked pretty good in the preseason. Kendall Wright has coming off his strong year last year. The one thing, a move that I only recently became aware of, I just got on board with this Torrey Smith move to San Francisco. Oh, yes. Again, we talk about who's up and who's down. I think there's a lot of pessimism on the Niners offense and Niners team in general, but I think that could work to your advantage because if they are really going to be a bad team and they can't control the clock like they used to, that just means they're going to throw. So you get a guy like that that's Vernon Davis, Torrey Smith. Kaepernick's not the type anymore that's going to be able to float two or three viable fantasy studs, but he can definitely float a couple of contributors. So I think these are kind of guys you get at the end. And if you're in a three-receiver league or you're in a bind with bye weeks, these are the kind of guys that you can trot out there and not get a short zero. You might get a zero, but you might get a 20-point game too. It's all about cashing in at the right time. So you have a, they have a big game, you trade them off for a more proven commodity, you're off to the races. So those are some receivers I like that, again, these are the kind of guys that are barely drafted. So what recommendations would you give people as far as what their preparation should be heading into a fantasy football drafts there's a hundred different places we can get information from i printed out a lot of things from this fantasy football today website where you could put in what league you're in and it gives you the rankings based on that league you could watch espn you could go to espn.com and check out the insider stuff yahoo get one of those nifty magazines but you don't necessarily need all that stuff but you should also have some form of idea of how you plan to attack, especially based on what your pick is. So what is some advice you could give these these young, youthful fantasy football folks that are that are getting involved this year and what they should be doing? Well, one thing I've done for years is print out an average draft position list and then put a star next to the list at every one of my slots for my pick. So if I have the seven pick, go down to number seven on the ADP list, put a star, and then go to where it is in the second round, put a star, just so I kind of get an idea for where I'm drafting and what position, and then I start making kind of like best and worst case scenarios at each pick. You can only do that for a few rounds because then it gets too hard to predict, but for rounds one, two, and three, you don't know the order of things, but a lot of times those 36 players are pretty much locked in who they're going to be, and then you can kind of tell what your best and worst case scenarios are in there. So I definitely do that, but I think a mistake to kind of, not beginners, because beginners don't necessarily use ADP data, but I think intermediate players make this mistake where they look at ADP and use it as their cheat sheet. So they'll just be crossing players off as they go down the list by average draft position and say, okay, well, this next guy, this is the value, this is where he should go. But if you think about what average draft position actually means, is it's the average position in which players were drafted in all drafts. So if you follow that as your cheat sheet, you're just really assuming that you're going to have an average draft. That's really all you're doing because you're following what the average is. But obviously your goal in winning is to be above average. So I like ADP as a tool, but really I make my own cheat sheets. The one thing that you do that is you do mock drafts. That's what I found is the best way because, again, I would have never known about probably that Torrey Smith move to San Francisco if I didn't do a mock draft and see. Because then you see you get in these positions where all my team sucks and then you're, you're looking for flyers late in the draft and that's where you start to find names and things that you never never occurred to you. There's a lot of free content out there. You named a lot of them and some of it's paid content. There are places where you can pay and get a lot. There are places where you can also pay and, and not get a lot versus the free stuff. So 
when in doubt, I think unless you're being really serious for a lot of money, I think you could probably get by with a lot of the free stuff out there. But there's no substitute for hours of prep yourself. Yeah, I think it's just important as well to keep abreast of what's happening with some of the players as far as injuries are concerned. We remember when I drafted Ben Tate, I believe it was, and that was the year Arian Arian Foster. Arian Foster came on the scene that year when I drafted the guy that he was taking over for because he tore his ACL. And so... You don't want to go into this and and draft Foster for this yeah, draft. No, a or guy least... in my league, a guy in my draft on Tuesday drafted Jordy Nelson. And See? The, no one in your league is going to feel bad for you and pause the draft and rewind it. For no, you to it's, it's very unlikely. Very unlikely because they're incredibly happy that you just wasted one of your picks. Right, and if you recall, I I, got, I was the one who got Arian Foster, so I wasn't about to want you to take it back. Right, I, think I, I was I was looking at him, looking at him, and obviously if you'd Knowing what was going on. Well, you're, you're lucky I'm having you on my show because it's still a little sore spot for my stupidity. It's scabbed over. It's, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Enough time has, has passed that we, we can heal. Exactly. It's heal. it's just a scar. It's getting a little bit fainter every day. But that's an, an important thing for people to make sure that you're not drafting Foster this year, at least not until very late. If you want to just dump him on your roster because you know he'll come back, do that. But don't take him in the second round because it says to do so on your list. Don't draft Jordy Nelson. Don't draft Calvin Benjamin. It's just things like that that you have to keep in mind. Like, Ray Rice isn't in the league right now. You can you can draft him if you want, but don't be wasting early picks on these people because they're not going to be playing for a very long time. Even in keeper leagues, it's really hard to draft a guy knowing that you're going to have to stash him for a whole year. Like, someone took Calvin Benjamin in the last round of my keeper draft. It's hard to devote a roster spot. Keeper leagues, depending on how many keepers you have, if it's a dynasty league where you keep all your players forever, then it makes sense. But if you're only keeping one or two players... Chances are, just from good draft in general, you're going to get one or two keeper value picks from there. So I really don't don't espouse keeping multiple guys that that are just going to suck up roster spots that could help you win this year. Football more than baseball is a win this year proposition in your keeper league. It's it's not like baseball where you really can play the long game. Careers are short in the NFL. Guys come online every year way more unexpectedly, I would say, than baseball. I think in football, your your best keeper strategy is, is to win now and then draft rookies late in the game. That's how I've always approached keeper leagues. I agree with that. So the question is, are you going to divulge to everybody who you're going to take it to when we draft on Sunday? Well, I mean, it so, can't be but, too much of a secret because there's only one other guy that could be taken that you might want. Yeah, so I haven't totally decided, but judging by my uh, kind of primer on the running back position I just gave, I think you could probably tell the two it's between, and that would be between Lacey and Bell. I would say so. Yeah, it might come down to flipping a coin. You know me too well. I'll probably end up taking it down to the very last second, oh, possibly absolutely. calling a timeout and offering people to trade down, trade up to my pick. Yes, yeah, so what people I... don't know about you that maybe we should get into a little bit is you very much enjoy the trading aspect of fantasy football, whether that's the first round pick of the draft, whether it's mid-draft, whether it's after the draft. But you're probably the most, I, I don't even know what word it would be. Tradeaholic is what I've uh, used in the past. Tradeaholic uh, I just, is perfect. I, I, just, I just can't live without Tradeahol. The great thing about our game is that there's no right answer. Part of the fun is it's all about what would you do in their shoes. You ran a team that's the fun. So some real football teams, real baseball teams that don't do a lot of trading, and then there's some that are trading every day. So no one right way to do it, which that's is right. great. And I, yeah, come to think of it off the top of my head, I think the only times that you've traded in recent years is what I've kind of bothered you to the point where you just like make it go away. Yes, please. Let's Let's just <laughs> do it and get it over with. So what jersey are you going to be donning on Sunday? So my Christmas present from my brother was a Nick Foles jersey. Oh, boy. Uh, I I also have several LaShawn McCoy jerseys. I have several Deshaun Jackson jerseys. So I think for the time being, I have to just kind of do a thing where I'm just going to buy all-time great jerseys. I have to, like, sit out the whole, like, jersey thing for a while of, like, current players. That being said, of the jerseys that I have of current players, I think actually... The only current jersey I have might be Jordan Matthews, who I do like, by the way. We haven't really addressed him in the wide receiver position. But I think I'm feeling this year, again, I'm going kind of throwback with my running back strategy. I think I'm going to throwback jersey. I'm either going to do someone from my childhood or someone from my adolescence. The childhood would be my throwback Randall Cunningham jersey, (laughs) or my adolescence would be my Brian Dawkins jersey. Nothing wrong with that at all. I, I thought maybe you might just go with like a, a red polo shirt or something like Tiger wears on Sunday and see if that'll take you to the promised land. But I do like throwback jerseys. Well, thank you very much for coming on to the program here and, and giving a little bit more insight as to what people should be doing and who people should be looking out for if they still have fantasy football drafts on the horizons. 
hopefully we didn't hurt anyone that already made their draft and they're thinking, oh, God, I should not have drafted that player. I should have went in a different direction. What do I do? There's a lot of free drafts you could still get into. This was a great conversation. Like I said, I'll probably have you on at some point during the actual season to talk more football, but I appreciate you taking the time, and we'll see what happens on Sunday. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was great. That's going to do it for The Bridge. Thanks again for Eric Blomain for coming on. You can listen to other episodes of The Bridge on my website at www.londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter at that same handle, at London Bridge. Make sure to check out Bleacher Report for the latest and greatest writings from yours truly. You can also listen to episodes on the bridge on iTunes, and please feel free to subscribe. Certainly a lot to talk about on the next show. We'll be previewing what's going to happen in the National Football League. Week one is upon us, and we'll take a look at some of the teams that may impress and some of the teams that might want to stay home on Sunday. We'll go over some of the latest college football games. We'll talk a little bit about where things stand in Major League Baseball and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Sports.